Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I am more than excited to have my friend, Gretchen Baskerville back on today's episode. She is a Christian in the Los Angeles area who's been doing Christian divorce recovery ministry in churches since 1998. As you can imagine, she's heard many, many heartbreaking stories of betrayal and abuse. And from her experience, she has found that when Christian women find themselves married to serial cheaters or sexually immoral spouses or physically and emotionally abusive spouses, They tend to try to fix their marriage. They pray, they forgive, they go to counseling. And Gretchen is on a mission to help women know that they don't have to submit themselves to that type of wickedness, but they can consider life-saving divorce. She is the author of the acclaimed and absolutely awesome book, Life-Saving Divorce. You can find that on our books page at btr.org slash books. Also, you can find her at lifesavingdivorce.com. Welcome, Gretchen. It's so great to be with you again, Anne. So we are going to talk about being single. Mm -hmm. Lately, when people say God hates divorce, or when I hear that statement, I think of you and then I say, God loves divorce. And I just (laughs) come back at them with that and say, what are you talking about? God loves divorce because he loves me and it set me free. Divorce delivered me from wickedness. It delivered me from abuse. And I'm very, very grateful to be divorced and actually really proud of it. And I want women to know that it's not something that we have to be ashamed of or worried about. And being single kind of has that same connotation that not only are you divorced, maybe, or maybe you never got married in the first place, and then you're single. So today we're going to talk about the myths of being single. So Gretchen, take it away. What's one of the first myths of being single? I'm going to back up just a little bit because you just said how happy you were to be divorced. And I truly look back now, 25 years later, and say divorce was the hardest decision I ever made, but it was also one of the best decisions I've ever made. And because we as Christians, as people of devout faith, we take marriage very, very seriously. We don't throw away our marriages easily. We don't really believe in I'm bored divorces or I miss the party life divorces. We hang in there and we hang in there oftentimes longer than is good for us and for our children. And so that's why I wrote the book, The Life Saving Divorce. As a devout person of faith, 
I am against frivolous divorce, but I am 100% in favor of life-saving divorces because it saves parents and children. So let's jump into those myths. I think the first myth, especially as a person of faith, at least in my upbringing was, you know, you're really nothing without a husband. You don't really have an identity without a man. And, you know, for those of us who are really biblically oriented, I would say that there are plenty of women who are heroines in their own right in the Bible. So for example, Ruth was already a heroine before she met Boaz. Um, Deborah, Abigail, Dorcas, look at the midwives in the story of Moses' birth. I mean, they were amazing. They stood against uh, the great Pharaoh of Egypt. The other thing I did as I was you know, coming through this. And, and of course, the first two years of divorce, I was just, my life was just topsy-turvy, right? I just didn't know which way was up. I was really numb for the first six months. And I started reading single women's missionary biographies. I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but there are some wonderful ones out there. I'm sure you've got some on your uh, reading list. They were so inspiring to me because here are these women who go to some foreign country, and they're virtually alone. They have very little support. And because they're not married, they don't really fit into any society. And yet they do absolutely amazing things. I soaked myself in these kinds of stories. I realized, you know, there are plenty of women who God called, who are called by the Spirit to do great things. And we were not called to stay in these marriages to enable sin, to cover up sin, to pretend that sin didn't exist, uh, what you call wickedness. We weren't called to bring up our children in a wicked home. My first myth is the whole idea that you're nothing without a husband. I think it's just completely false because the Lord uses people wherever they are and he empowers and strengthens. We weren't put on this planet to to cover up sin. I've only been married once and I did not get married till I was 31, almost 31. People would say things to me like, why are you married or other stuff like that? But I remember very vividly right after high school, I was working at a video store and a woman from my church came in and she said, oh, who are you dating? And I said, <laughs> oh, I'm not dating anybody right now. And I, I, I was maybe 18 years old. It was like right after high school. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry you don't have a life. <gasps> oh my. And I remember it so vividly thinking, I'm going to graduate from college. What are you talking about that I don't have a life? I have friends. I have interests. Am I literally nothing to you because I don't have a boyfriend? Mm -hmm. And that idea that women aren't anything if they don't have someone to define them is crazy. Right. Yeah. Women can do amazing things on their own all by themselves. That just kind of went along with that first myth. So let's look at the second myth. All right. So oh, this one's embarrassing to me that women friends in your 20s are just placekeepers until you find a man, your soulmate. Women friends just really aren't all that valuable. They're disposable. Mm. And ooh, I'm embarrassed to tell you that in, in my upbringing, marriage was promoted so much that this is really sort of the direction 
it went. They didn't, nobody actually taught this verbally. This was never spoken. This was always unspoken. But wow, was I wrong. Um, so I got divorced in 1996. And in 1998 at my church, I met in one of the uh, Sunday school classes, a woman who was raising four kids by herself with almost no child support. I had two kids and I was completely in awe of her. It was difficult for them. Uh, they had this old clunker car and a shabby, tiny little apartment, but they had love. They had safety. They had acceptance. And we got to be best friends. And every Saturday, we would walk together for an hour out at the beach. We lived near the coast in, in Los Angeles area. And she was an introvert and I was an extrovert. So we just made sure that we, you know, each got about 30 minutes to share. And then we prayed for each other at the end of our walk. And together, we started a group for other single mothers in our church. And this small group was absolutely fantastic. I have never seen so many strong, courageous women knocking it out of the ballpark every day. We had teachers, we had a swim coach, we had a small business owner, a childcare provider, a paralegal, a homeschool mother, a manicurist, a disabled woman. But we were all proud survivors and we were our own community. We were like heroines to each other and we shared our hope and our experience with one another and prayed for one another. And sometimes, you know, we helped each other financially. And when you do that week after week for years, you realize that this is hands down the best group you've ever been in, whether Bible study or church small group or adult education. It is absolutely so powerful. There was so much emotional closeness and caring. And women would come to our group from other churches and they'd come to our group and they'd cry for the first three weeks. And then they would sense the Lord's presence and they would start to feel that hope and that faith. And there is just something special about the dynamic of women friends when there's no men around First, there's no sexuality to motivate you or to cover up one another's slights. You know, we, we have to put in effort to keep our women friends. We have to learn to behave well. We have to learn to take turns paying for coffee. We have to learn to hold up our end of the friendship. And those are such wonderful, maturing character traits to learn. And as you can imagine, when you've done that for 15 years with an amazing close cadre of women, when you start dating again, and, and in my case, I deliberately chose not to date for 15 years, I started comparing all the men to these close girlfriends. Mm -hmm. You know, probably like you've experienced, most of them couldn't hold a candle mm -hmm. to my girlfriends. I mean, they didn't have authenticity. They didn't have integrity. They weren't as financially responsible as my single mom friends. And so it was pretty easy to identify and ditch the losers mm -hmm. because I had the loving, warm community around me. And I think that's one of the most powerful things. And this is something that anyone can do in their own church or ward. They can start a group like this. It, it just becomes wonderful. It's, it's easiest to start it at the same time other groups are going on at the church, so there's free childcare. But this becomes an amazing place for fellowship. 
Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. And for those introverts out there that are like me who might not want to like start a group because that feels kind of overwhelming, (laughs) just making one friend, going for a walk every day or doing something with the friend regularly um, can help. And that's, that's also a good place to start. It feels like when women find our community, their abusive spouses think like, oh, they're a bad influence on you. Right. Uh-huh. Because they start they start setting boundaries. They start being more healthy. They start maybe doing more self-care. And then the abuser doesn't have as much control. And so that feels very uncomfortable to him. And he tries to undermine it. And abusive men would also likely try to undermine women's friendships with other women. But why do you think in general that was sort of taught before you were even married to an abuser? Do you think it's still kind of a control thing that like perhaps you should not have external influences other than your spouse or can you talk yeah, to that? I mean in my church we were definitely taught that your marriage relationship would be the be all to end all and even though it sounds ridiculous for me to say it out loud right now that person was to be your full emotional support they were supposed to be your spiritual support they were supposed to be everything and it, if you told a woman today you know your sister is supposed to be everything to you the one person in your life who's your all in all, you'd go, you're nuts. At least in my church, the unspoken message is if you're a godly woman, if you, you know, have done your best to be a radiant virgin bride on your on your wedding day, that you're going to get this incredible, emotionally intimate, connected uh, spouse, this husband. And you're going to have mind-blowing sex. We were really taught this. It's kind of a form of what I would call prosperity gospel. If you're good, you'll get someone good. If you've got some secret sin or you're covering up something, well, then you're going to get someone bad. But I mean, I don't know how you could be more of a goody two-shoes than I was as a kid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't perfect. Obviously, nobody's perfect. But man, I got in trouble for staying up till midnight reading my Bible. Okay, I was part of <laughs> youth groups and youth choir and everything, and all my friends were Christians, and and yet I married someone who had serious, serious character issues. But I know you talk about those kinds of things all day long, so we <laughs> won't go into that. In my case, it wasn't so much abuse as it was sexual immorality, covert, mm-hmm. chronic, and uh, scary and illegal. Which is, by the way, abuse. Yes. Yes, it is. Criminal sexual behavior is abuse. I mean, they're a sex offender. They're a sex abuser. And the, the emotional abuse or the lying, the, the psychological abuse, lying, gaslighting, all of that is all occurring. Here at BTR, like, sexual immorality is abuse. That's what it is. They're abusing the relationship. They're abusing the marriage. They're abusing, you know, your trust. Any kind of betrayal is abuse, emotional abuse. Yeah. And when you're always wondering what's going on with that other person, because they live a completely separate second 
hidden secret life. Yep. I mean, you just never know when the other shoe's going to drop. I was always worried, you know, will my name be on the front page of the Los Angeles Times? <laughs> you know, this is pretty awful stuff. So, yeah, it's definitely abusive. I agree with you. Yeah, I am so grateful for my girlfriends, girlfriends that I made in my late 20s when I was single and are still my best friends today who have stuck with me. They have been my support and my strength and also friends of mine who are my family, right? My sister and my mom and other like dear, dear friends that I have that have been an amazing support system to me. I'm grateful that I had that time in my 20s that I didn't get married until later to develop that. And so many women, especially women of faith, are married really early. And so when they find themselves divorced, they haven't had that experience of maybe making adult women friends. And so instead of being like, I don't know how to do that, if we have that growth mindset to say, oh, I have the opportunity to do that now is a good way to maybe start approaching that and think that you're going to find real, like true intimate in emotional intimacy, love and platonic love with your girlfriends. And it's really, really amazing. It is. It's really something. And if you had told me when I went through my divorce, because I was just completely steeped in that mindset, having been raised a very in a very devout family, very conservative family, I thought that divorce was like the worst possible thing that could happen to me. You know, that even though I had valid grounds for sure, right? You know, that it somehow reflected and, and told the world that I was lacking in personal maturity or, or spiritual maturity. And uh, so I was pretty eager straight out of my divorce. You know, I thought, oh my goodness, I hope I remarry fast. And <laughs> I, I wasn't as far along as you are, Anne. <laughs> um, oh, no. I, looking back now, I'll be, I'll be really vulnerable and honest. If you had told me that I would be single for three years, I might not have filed for divorce. If you had told me I'd be single for five years, I would be curled up on the floor in fetal position, sucking my thumb. And I ended up being divorced for uh, a single mom for 20 years. And I've got to tell you, the Lord just completely rebuilt my life. He restored the years, the locust ate. It took me a while to get back to my normal level of happiness. And then I went through a lot of court abuse. There was a lot of post-separation abuse uh, from my ex-husband, 10 years of being dragged into court over and over uh, with him wanting to have joint custody and me saying, you know, over my dead body. What I found is that as the Lord carried me through each day, every 24 hour period, I was still alive. I did not always get the answers to prayer I wanted. God was often later than I wanted him to be, and he didn't give me the answer I wanted. Looking back, I see that it was what was best for me, but it wasn't what my church had told me was the ideal situation. I can honestly say at year five, I was happier than I had ever been in my life. That's year five after separation. And by year seven, I had completely rebuilt my financial stability. And that felt great. It felt great to be storing away money for retirement and feeling like, you know what, even if I never remarry, 
there are a lot of women who don't ever want to remarry. There was a, a survey done a few years back that showed that four in 10 were absolutely sure they did not want to remarry. And I found myself really getting very, very content and really even enjoying my singleness and wondering if I would be able to adjust to sort of the closing in on the constriction of my friendships if I ever remarried. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Also, there could be women and there are women who do want to remarry, but they just don't have the opportunity. They don't meet someone that they would want to marry. You know, it just doesn't work out. And there's that too. So assuming that people who are not married aren't married because they just don't want to be is also not the right assumption, right? But Right, right. So for me, I was only, I was single till 30, 31, right? And then my ex was arrested when I was 37 and my youngest was 11 months old. Oh, wow. And now I'm 44. Mm. So since 20, that's 24 years, I've only been married for seven of those. Singleness is familiar to me and I really, really enjoy it. I do want to say though, post-divorce, the first uh, two, three, four years are really hard. Even though I was happy to be divorced and proud that I was divorced and for surviving what I had been through, things were still really hard. But I agree with you, Gretchen. For me, it was about year five, six, seven that I have started to feel like, oh, this feels good. I love it. Um, and so even though I was happy to be away from the abuse or at least separated from it as much as I could be, there seems to be an arc that it does take some time. So I don't want to like misrepresent this in saying like, once you get divorced, everything will be, you know, no, it is, it is hard, but you do have to rebuild your life and it does take time, but it does come. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to pause the conversation here and Gretchen will be back with me next week to finish talking about the myths of being single. So stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 